This is the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast, episode number 103 with guest Jen Loudon. All links and resources you hear on this podcast can be found by going to yourkickasslife.com forward slash 103. This is the Your Kick-Ass Life podcast with Andrea Owen, a no BS guide to self-help and badassery. Because ladies, let's face it, life's too short for it to not kick ass. And here's your host. The girl who serves it up straight with a side of crazy, Andrea Owen. Hey there, ass kickers. Thank you for joining me for another edition of the podcast. I'm so glad that you're here. And before we get started with today's guest, which as always, I'm very excited about, I wanted to take a moment to tell you about something I have going on right now, and I would love for you to join me. So it's called... The Kick-Ass Courage Project 30-Day Experience. And what it is, it's an online group class that I have taught once before last year. I've revamped the curriculum a little bit after getting some feedback from the people that were in it, as well as really doing some thinking about what I think is important for y'all to learn about. And so I created this program for a few reasons. I wanted something that was easily accessible for people financially. It is the lowest price class that I have where you can work with me live. And it is also short. <laughs> it's only 30 days and I pack four modules into this program in the course of just a little bit over four weeks. So one of the things that I'm really excited about in this program that is brand new for the curriculum is part of my training in, most of you know, I'm trained in the work of Dr. Brene Brown. It's mostly surrounding her books, Daring Greatly and Rising Strong. So the Rising Strong curriculum is newer that I've added onto my certification. And one of the things that's really exciting is you guys know I talk a lot about the inner critic and, you know, I have a, like a do on your own glass for that, that you can get. And also I've had many podcast episodes and blog posts written about it. It's just something that is so foundationally important is your self-talk and how the conversation that you're having with yourself. So what I have added into the experience class is really digging deeper and getting to the bottom of your inner critics, what I say, bullshit story. Because yes, it's important to learn how to be compassionate with yourself and learn self-compassion and self-kindness, which is what we cover in the experience, but also really getting to the bottom of what your inner critic is making up and how to change that story. Because that's really like taking steps backward and getting to the root of the problem. That's what I'm really excited for in this class. And that's what we kick it off with. There's also uh, topics in there around forgiveness, which is kind of important, right? Forgiving yourself for past mistakes and stuff that you've been dragging around forever and forgiving other people. And oh, it's so important. So that's also in the curriculum. There are also worksheets with each of the four modules. There are eight optional challenges, which just they're optional, but they definitely aid in helping you. And of course, one of the things that people say is so incredibly helpful is the community that is created in these classes. And it is small and intimate. It's for women only. And really, this is a place for a few things to happen, for you to come and tell your story in a safe 
confidential place for you to make friends and have online support. And it's a place for you to ask me questions where I can help you work through specific things. I will be in that group on most weekdays helping you specifically. And so if you want to read more about that class and join us, it is at 30dayexperience.com. It's the numbers 30dayexperience.com. If you want an easy peasy link, you can Go to the show notes and it is right there, 30dayexperience.com. We are closing registration up fairly shortly. There's also a bonus in there that will go away fairly soon. So we start on June 28th and we close registration the day before that on the 27th. So that's when your first module will be delivered to you in your inbox on June 28th. So I really hope to see you there. I probably will not teach this again until next year at the soonest because I'm spending the rest of the year writing my book. So hopefully you feel like it's a good fit for you. If not, you can always keep listening to the podcast and reading the blog, but I will say that you really, really want to make a change. Joining these classes can be really helpful because you are handed specific modules. You are given worksheets to actually put pen to paper and work through them. And you're also guided by me and your fellow sisters in those classes. So I'd really love for you to head on over there, 30dayexperience.com. And let's get on with the show, shall we? Let me tell you a little bit about Jennifer Loudon. Jennifer Loudon is a personal growth pioneer who helped launch the self-care movement with her first book, The Woman's Comfort Book. She's the author of six additional books on well-being and whole living, two of which are The Couple's Comfort Book and A Year of Daily Joy. There are about a million copies of her books in print in nine languages. Jennifer has spoken around the U.S., Canada, and Europe, written a national magazine column for Martha Stewart Magazine, has appeared on hundreds of TV and radio shows, including The Oprah Winfrey Show. Jennifer has been teaching retreats and leading workshops since 1992 and creating vibrant online communities and innovative learning experience since the year 2000. So without further ado, here is Jennifer. Ask Kickers, welcome to another edition of the podcast. I am so excited, as always, to bring you my guest. Jen Loudon is here. Hi, Jen. Gosh, I'm really glad you're excited because it would really suck if I was the first person you weren't excited to have on. <laughs> like, it would just ruin my day. I'm like 103 episodes in, and this is not my favorite. <laughs> this is it. I finally reached somebody I don't like. <laughs> well, I'm just, I'm so blessed to get to do this and get to talk to such amazing people and share their wisdom as well, because just, oh, different perspectives. And I love your work. And I'm just, I'm delighted that you're here. So thank you so much for being here first. Oh, gosh. You know, people like us like to talk, don't we? <laughs> I know. I just interviewed someone earlier today and I have, you know, I get, I prepare and I have my list of questions. I asked her one. <laughs> we just like went off on different tangents. So that may happen here. Don't know. But I like to just sort of, you know, as the universe guides us, we'll see what happens. It's always good to have a plan. You know, I consult and teach in different realms. And one of them is with people who do this kind of work or teaching or speaking. And until you have a framework and a scaffolding, you can't really go off into those places you were just talking about. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's really something you have to learn through planning and, and getting to know the person's work you're interviewing. Yeah. And after 103 episodes, like I give myself permission to not. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Experience. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, let's jump in because 
You talk a lot about women and how you want them to not hold back. So what? let's start there. What do you mean by that? I think anyone who spends any time in their own personal growth in her life or learning how to help others through that, and I've been doing it now for about 24 years, gets the feeling that really it's us in our own way. That's <laughs> kind of the key to it all. Not that we don't have to learn like you've learned to interview people, not that we don't have to develop skills, but when we develop those skills and we're still not applying them or using them or extending ourselves, or we go partway and then we collapse or we quit or we go off on another tangent, it's usually because we're holding ourselves back. We're the ones that are in the way. So it's also from a Rilke poem that I usually read at the beginning, or I should say I have read at the beginning of my writing retreats for many years. And there's a line, may I be like a river, no forcing and no holding back. To me, that's that feeling of life living us. And we have those moments when we're deep in a spiritual practice or deeply in love or, or creating. I aspire to have more of my life be that way and to lead others to live that way. more of the time. Obviously not all the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, that would be nice. And I know some people do that, but it's not available to me yet. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like, unless I'm totally making this up, but it sounds like surrender. And that seems to be a theme in I, almost every single one of the episodes that I record with someone that that topic comes up. Yeah, it's interesting. I have a community called the Oasis and someone was talking about surrender just today in the forums and they were talking about they're struggling with, with someone in their life who's addicted to drugs. And boy, I just, that's like a topic that I'm still like befuddled by. You know, I, I get it, but I don't know how to talk about it yet. I do know one thing and that is that we need a strong sense of self and identity and even success, however we define it in the world, I think before we can successfully surrender. I think too often I see women surrendering before they've really found their two feet, that they found a sense of competency or delight in their, their own place in the world. But I do think it's part of the spiritual journey and part of where we're supposed to get. And you can hear the question work in my voice, like, really, Jen? Do you really think that? <laughs> How's that working? Yeah. How's that working? Yeah, surrender. It was interesting. I was reading a memoir last night. The husband is Islamic, is a Muslim, and the wife is sort of your typical American-driven, tall, thin, blonde, successful. And the memoir is about their marriage. And he is going through Ramadan and she's hating it because year after year he does this. And it's really hard to do in the United States away from a community. It's hard to do in an Islamic country as well. And, and she really gets at the end of this chapter how that it's a surrender that break the practices of Ramadan are breaking him down so he can surrender. And I can taste it when I'm reading stories like that. I can hmm. taste it sometimes in meditation, but not so much in my daily life. <laughs> Well, I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> I know my people know that it's one of my biggest struggles as well. And it's it's a one day at a time thing. And I always say like, I'm having a street fight with control and surrender. And, and, <laughs> I like that. and yeah, and it's just like, uh, but I'm, I'm well aware that it's something that I'm working on. And, you know, I have, I'm certified in the work of Dr. Brene Brown and they, as a facilitator, they sell these posters and it's of the 10 guideposts for wholehearted living and it's giant. So, you know, in, in terms of letting go of control, it's about cultivating intuition and faith. 
And just Mm -hmm. to to me, that's just trust, like trust that everything's going to be fine because it always is. And that's been, I'll tell you what, I've come a long ass way, but Mm -hmm. I know that it's a struggle for a lot of my listeners as well, but it's, I'm glad to hear you're, you're just human. (laughs) Well, I also think that, and I love Brene and knew her before, you know, this is actually in one of the Daring Way lessons. Yeah, I know. It's so swell. But I think that we, I mean, this is the prickly side of me, everybody. So warning, but I think we have to be really careful about, we have to break these big words down, like surrender and intuition and faith, because they're slippery if we take them too broadly. And we can do these spiritual bypasses in our life. And I see a lot of creative women doing this. And then the real work of building their lives doesn't happen. And they keep sort of slipping away from doing the hard work. And I'm not suggesting in any way that that you have done that, but I worry about it for myself. Like, am I going to surrender to not writing today, for example? Oh, just I see. Yeah. Trust that the writing's going to happen, or am I going to surrender to not having that difficult phone conversation I had to have mm-hmm. last week? Mm-hmm. So I think it's important that we wade into those distinctions sometimes, for especially for ourselves, and finding a way to discover what it really means for us. And then I think those broad reminders so helpful. Does that make any sense? Totally. And I love that you said that because I speak to that when I'm teaching and I'm talking about self-compassion and in the beginning of a class, I'm asking people about permission. Like, what do you need to give yourself permission to do in order to show up for this class? And, and I will tell them, this is not like, I need to give myself permission to skip lessons. I need to give myself compassion (laughs) if I want to not finish. Well, no, it's not an out for you to do the hard work. And I'm always very clear that this is going to be uncomfortable And for me, surrender looks like letting go of an outcome. It looks like, you know, doing my best not to micromanage my children and my husband and my team and my friends. That's basically like every single person in the universe. And it's also for me, it's letting go that, it's letting go of so many things. It's letting go that like, I know what's best. It's letting go that making, like I used to make up that like people were sucking on purpose just because like they wanted me to be suffering. (laughs) It's like like, it's classic control. And it's it's just like, I see it a lot in the women that I work with and it's, it's exhausting. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. I understand. I think I'm realizing something and that is that there might be a few different camps of us in how we tangle ourselves up and there might be these super achievers, super smart. I'm going to make it happen. You guys aren't keeping up with me camp. Mm -hmm. And then there might be my camp, which is more like, I'm really scared. I really don't want to do this. Did I do enough? Can I just stop for now? (laughs) And you may be surprised, you know, because I probably present more as the get it done kind of person. But I think for me, the struggle is more is staying in the game. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, yes. I can totally relate to that. And I love what Brene talks about in, in her work where she says that she sort of like manufactured her career to stay below the radar Mm. and, you know, to not risk getting caught in the crosshairs of critics and, and things Mm -hmm. like that. And, you know, I found myself in that same position of doing that as well. And, you know, I had that whisper of like, you really, and it wasn't like the push of you need to be more or do more. It was really the whisper of there's more of you that, and you're holding back. Ah, I love that. And I I, understand there was a distinction Mm because I I know that other voice very well. You know, she and I are, are very close and (laughs) 
do more, be more for them. But no, this was, you're not totally being of service. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that whole like showing up is courage. Mm -hmm. So how do you live with less holding back? Who's interviewing who here, Jen? (laughs) I'm really curious though. Like I know everyone else probably knows this and they can just like skip this part, but I'm really curious. Okay. Ask the question again. I was, how do you live with less holding back instead of no holding back? Telling on myself for one is I am very blessed to have intentionally created friendships around me where these women can hold the space for all of me. Which is is still scary. I'm not going to say that it's not scary for them to see like all the things that I would deem not so pretty. And it's about naming it when I know it's happening. And so they just get curious with me. And instead of telling me what they think I should do, it's about they ask really good questions. And it's about asking myself questions too. And just giving myself the grace and just time and patience to know that like whatever it is, is. I mean, I'll give you a quick example. So Mm -hmm. I'm about to sign a contract for my second book. This one is with Seal Press. And I knew that I would not settle for less than X amount of money for a book advance. And I just knew, you know, I have two small children and it's, I mean, you know how it is. Like you've written many, many books, you know how much it takes out of you and I was going to have to do, you know, anyway. So I was like, no, I'm not going to for less. And I got one offer and it was half of what I was going to not settle for. I got another Mm -hmm. offer and it was exactly the mark of what I said. I won't take no less than this amount of money. And then I got one more offer and it was for double of what I wanted. And it's things like that. And granted, like very rarely is it about money even. It's about just like that knowing of it's just practicing, the in, listening to the intuition and holding steadfast to that and telling people too. Because if I don't tell someone, like, I know in my gut, this is what's going to happen, or this is what I need to do. And if I don't tell someone that, it's a lot easier for me to backpedal on it. Mm -hmm. But if I've told someone, (laughs) someone holding me accountable, like, didn't you say that your gut said this? And then I'm like, damn it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just an example of, of playing bigger and, you know, what Brene says, entering the arena. And sometimes the arenas get really big and they're scary and... But I'll tell you what, so much of it is about those friendships and Mm -hmm. them holding the space. Yeah, I have that too. And you're right. I never thought about it quite that way. That's a beautiful way to put it. Thank you. Thank you. And what's your next question? (laughs) (laughs) I don't have one right now. (laughs) Good, because I have a lot. Okay. You spoke about creativity a few minutes ago, and I know you write and teach a lot about it. So I'm a firm believer that creativity can be used to heal us in many ways. But, you know, people are busy and... I know a lot of women in, in my audience put that on the back burner or they they call themselves not creative. So mm-hmm. what do you think about that? And can you tell us why you think women need to honor creativity in their life? I believe that the ability to create anything, I don't care whether it's a meal or a flower arrangement or scrapbooking or, you know, I call them art mess making, art journaling that I do, writing, puts us in touch with several absolutely essential experiences in life. And I use the word experience very precisely. One is that we are creators. We can make stuff happen. And we have to remember that over and over again, that we are, and I know this is, there's a paradox here between our earlier conversation about surrender. We need both sides. We need the ability to remember we are the agents of our lives, 
that we are always at choice with how we react, in how we take care of ourselves, in where we put our energy, our time, our attention, and creating something reminds us of that. Second of all, the experience of creating reminds us of being alive. It brings us into the present moment. Mm -hmm. There's lots of ways to do that with our kids and our grandkids and exercise and meditation and something about the juicy, unknown moment by moment, the lack of control of creating teaches us like, I don't think anything else can, except maybe dance, dance, you know, not learning steps. Mm -hmm. So yeah, so those two things, and they are something that when we're away from them, we forget them like, oh, lots of other things, (laughs) but they make us juicy. They juice us up in a way that I think is just essential. And then I'm going to add a third thing in. There's a quote that has really animated me for a number of years now, and it's from a, a kind of an an odd book called From Girl to Goddess. And I'm looking it up. (laughs) Oh, here it is. It's from Valerie Estelle Frankel. And she's a researcher and a writer, and she researched all kinds of fairy tales and folk tales about moving from girl to goddess, I suppose is the simplest way to say it. But here's the quote. While the hero journeys for external fame, fortune, and power, The heroine tries to regain her lost creative spirit. Once she hears the cries of this lost part of herself needing rescue, her journey truly begins. Wow. Yeah, I get chills every Mm -hmm. single time I read this or read it aloud. And to me, this is sort of the heart of my purpose, my individual thing that I'm learning. And it's also a huge part of what I do with women and that creativity for its own sake. Super important distinction. It's very different when we start to bring it into the marketplace. And that's fine. And it's and it's what I do mm-hmm. to make my living. But it's different. And it's often, it doesn't revivify us like creativity for its own sake. So we, we need both. Creativity is at the heart of your work. You need creativity for its own sake too. I love that you made that distinction. That quote's amazing, by the way. And you guys, if you want to read that quote, links back to Jen's site, all the show notes are at yourkickasslife.com forward slash 103. But I love that you made that distinction because about six or so months ago, I, I don't even remember how it came onto my radar. It must've been, you know, the divine universe dropping it on my head, but I just decided because it was told to me and something I had gone away from was writing just for pleasure for myself. Hmm. Because that's my creative outlet. And it was, what's interesting is that I wrote as a child and a teenager, you know, angsty love poems and things like that. And Mm -hmm. then I stopped in my twenties and that decade was the decade that I completely lost myself. Mm -hmm. And when I came out of that and started on my own personal development journey and began healing, I started writing again. It was like, I mean, it was this just massive, like the dam had broke. And then it, like you were saying, like it became part of my job. And then I realized I'm like, I haven't written, like every time I write something, I'm like, well, this needs to go on my blog. Well, this, Uh you know, it's like, how dare I waste time and just like write for myself. And I decided to start doing that again. And oh my gosh, everything changed. I mean, I started, I unlocked stuff that I didn't know was even locked up and just crying and healing and grieving and all of these things that my body was just trying so hard to do, but I wasn't allowing it to happen. And so I love that you said that because I bet there's a lot of people listening that do their creative thing as their job. And I think that my friend, Jamie Jensen, she's a copywriter and she said, it's the matter of self-care. That's totally a matter of self-care for you to be able to do that. So yeah, give yourself permission. Go ahead. 
Yeah. And I'm just going to make one really nitpicky distinction, which is sometimes we create for the kind of processing that was happening for you. And that can also become another sort of like thing that we need to let go of sometimes and just play. We want to look at why we go into the creative period. We just want to be aware of that. There's a function at my writer's retreat or a thread, that's a better word, a thread that I then carry into the Oasis community. And I call at the Oasis community, we call it desire retreats and you set aside a very clear period of time beginning and end has to be you know demarcated in some way and then your assignment if you will is just to follow your desires and keep checking in do I want to keep doing this am I enjoying this is this nurturing to me is this what I really want it's terrifying and exhilarating and incredibly enlightening and because we spend so much of our lives and our creative lives as we're just speaking about going from one thing to the next. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of pleasure in that. And there's a lot of safety. But if we do it too much of the time or for too long, we lose that instinctive, juicy, unknown, which is really what animates us. Hmm, Interesting. I love that. I love this conversation. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So you also write a lot about comfort and you've got, you've written several books on the topic. And I know, I know that numbing out is a problem for many of my listeners. I myself got sober in 2011. It's been quite a journey. And can you tell us how, how do women know the difference between what is comfort and what is numbing out? Mm, yeah. So this is another concept that Brene quotes me on in um, Daring Greatly. And I call it, I was writing my first book in many, many years ago in the early 90s. It was called The Woman's Comfort Book. And I was like, oh, comfort, comfort. Oh, all these, it's like an encyclopedia. All this place to comfort yourself. Cool, cool, cool. But I had this nagging feeling that there was something about comfort that wasn't always good. And then I started to really examine my own relationships to comfort at the time in my mid to late 20s and realized so often it was about getting away from myself or something that was bothering me and I entitled it shadow comforts. And so I think there's a number of ways. And the underlying thing is is self-compassion and awareness. Everybody has shadow comfort. The Dalai Lama jokes that he can't drive by electronic store, you know, like when he's out in the world without wanting to go in, right? So we all have them. And it's about being curious about them first. And one of the things that we don't want to do with our numbings is jump right into a big, hairy, complicated plan because that's not going to work. And it's going to make us feel less trustworthy of ourselves. So first, we just want to get curious, like, what are my shadow comforts? There's another distinction I made in a later book, The Life Organizer, called Time Monsters. And they're a little different, I realized, which are time monsters are the things that often we have to do in life, like answer email or mm-hmm. pay our taxes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but we do them first before the thing we really want to do or the thing we're afraid of, or we make them bigger or more complicated until they fill up our entire lives, mm-hmm. right? And we're not actually doing the things at least part of the time they're really calling to us. So we just get curious, like, when are they active in my life? What are they? What triggers them? Yes. When am I more susceptible to them? When am I more drawn to them? What do I think they're going to give me? 
Mm-hmm. And How do they? I, yeah, and do they? So really a prolonged period of curiosity and you can make a little chart and like a food journal and write down about them or just journal about them or discuss them with your coach or your therapist. Like, huh. Then you start to think only then. I can't stress that enough. It's so important to hang out with them and get to know them and get intimate with them. Then you start to say, what, what am I really hungry for? What am I really wanting or and it's, that's really scary. And if we start with that before we have a relationship with what we're doing and the realization of this is so normal and so human, mm-hmm. then we're going to come at it with a sense of what I call, you know, fixing ourselves. And that just doesn't work because it means that we're not coming at it from wholeness. We're coming at it from, I got to get this part of myself out. I got to, got to cut it out and put and it change. away. In the box. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I love that. I love that. And What's interesting is that a lot of times the behavior, whether it's eating or exercising or drinking, like it can be comfort and Mm -hmm. then it, you know, you cross the line somewhere. And I love that you ask people just to get curious and aware just to know that when you're in it, because I call it, I use the metaphor of, of like turning the lights on after you've had a party the next morning and going in there. It's like, you can't turn the lights off and pretend that the kitchen doesn't need to be cleaned. Like, you know, you can go back to bed, but you know, (laughs) Uh I think it's kind of the same with numbing. And like, once you look at, I like that you called, did you say shadow comforts? Yes. Shadow comforts and time monsters. And time monsters. Once you know them, you have the ability to get curious and be compassionate with yourself and just to really dig in a little bit more. And I know from personal experience now, I know, you know, if I have, my son has autism and it's, it can be very stressful. I mean, parenting is stressful as it is. And he has his own set of different unique stresses that I take on. He doesn't give them to me. (laughs) I make them up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I know if I've had especially worrisome day, I think to myself, I want to eat my face off with sugar and Mm -hmm. I will do it. (laughs) But now it's like, I know, okay, this is the limit where I get sick. I need to stop. And and they're much fewer and farther between now that I've been compassionate with myself and mm-hmm. just really curious. What we know from research is when we speak to ourselves in a mean voice, internally or externally, we actually create the hormonal and neurochemical field in ourselves and reaction that send us to shadow comforts, mm. send us to time monsters. So if anybody out there is thinking, oh yeah, ah, maybe good for them to be compassionate with themselves, but I'm going to be a lot tougher. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps with this eating thing or whatever. It's not going to work because you're a mammal. And mammals need compassion. They need to be spoken to kindly. They need to be soothed or the more primitive parts of your brain will hijack you. And then you will think, I'm a total loser. Oh, and that just sends you into more shadow cycle. Yeah. And a couple other things I want to say about this that are super important is when you do eat the sugar or like my husband's out of town for a week, he's in DC lobbying. And I'm like, oh my God, a week by myself. I'm going to watch so much bad TV at night and all the things that I never do when he's here. So Saturday night, I like, I started watching TV at five o'clock and I just like, I just watched myself and I'm like, are you enjoying this? I'm going to do more. You know, but I, you know, by the end of the night, by 10 o'clock, I was like, that was so unsatisfying, Mm -hmm. but I experienced it. I savored it. I didn't like go into, oh, that's, and now I have to be a good girl and not watch bad TV the rest of the time he's gone. Mm-hmm. Or what I could see somebody doing is beating yourself up for all of the things that you could have been doing between five and 10. Oh, yeah. and you're totally unproductive. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. I could have, who knows what I could have done. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> How many books I could have read. Yeah. Wow. Thanks for speaking to that. I think that's so important and such good wisdom nuggets. And speaking of, so you wrote a blog post called, I love this blog post because you sounded like you hit the keyboard and you were you were kind of pissed. <laughs> it's a little ranty and I love those posts, but it's called How to Stop Doubting Yourself slash Quitting slash Looking for a Magic Solutions Cycle Today. And again, this link is in the show notes at yourkickasslife.com forward slash 103. So in this post, you go through 11 points on how to do this, like giving yourself a break and valuing not knowing and more. And I know this topic is a huge obstacle for women. So can you take us through a couple of the points that are maybe your favorites or that just jump out at you that you see that the most common? Sure. I just want to set it up that the cycle that I see people doing, which is you want something really badly. So for me right now, I'm working on a book that is very much out of my experience. It's not nothing I've ever written before. I want it so badly. But I really have no idea what I'm doing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, today was a perfect example. I got through a couple of things that I knew to do. And tomorrow morning, it's like, oh, holy crap, look at what I have to tackle. Mm-hmm. So you start to doubt yourself. You start to feel anxious. Energy builds, but you don't know what to do with it. So you decide the energy is bad or wrong or overwhelming or there's too much information flooding and you can't make decisions. So you start to believe that you can't do it. You start to believe you're too old or you're too young or it's too complicated or you're not talented enough. And then you either give up or collapse or lose yourself deep in shadow comforts and time monsters, or you hire someone for a whole lot of money. You join one of those ridiculously silly programs that promise the sun, the moon, and the stars. And then you either months or weeks or years go by, and then you either try again or you start the whole cycle again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I see so many people doing this. And of course, I've seen myself do it many times. And I think the most important thing we've already talked about to get out of it is that shame and the beautiful work of Brene and your work. You know, if we keep blaming ourselves, we're going to stay stuck. And that blame can get so subtle, right? Oh, it yes. can get so, yeah, it can just really come in the back door. And so that's the same thing I say. I call it like the noxious poison that we can't see through the back door. Yeah. Or, you know, it just changes forms or we project it onto other people. Here's an extra one for you. The Benedictines say this. They don't just say begin again. They say always begin again, which just implies the very human truth that one of the ways out of the cycle is to know that we're going to fail. And even to give ourselves room for failure, to plan some failure, to plan some Netflix binges. (laughs) (laughs) A couple more points, I think, is that I really see trick people up and it comes in over and over again through the back door, just like the shame, is that we keep raising the bar on ourselves. We keep saying instead of writing 500 words today or finishing two scenes, which I'm second draft, so those aren't scenes from scratch, we say, I'm going to rewrite the entire chapter 13 today. And then maybe we can do that for a day or two or a week, but then life intervenes or we get exhausted and we fall away and we say, oh shoot, I didn't do any writing yesterday. That means I'm a loser. That means I have to quit. And the cycle starts again. So making really small, specific promises that we can keep no matter what and really looking at your day and going, oh, my God, I'm on the phone with clients all afternoon. 
So this has to be chunked down even farther for today. It makes, it it is so boring and it is so powerful. I love that. So boring and it's so powerful. It's boring. We don't want boring. We want sexy. That's what gets us into the cycle. They've got an answer. If I just pay them enough money, if I just buy their book, then Mm -hmm. I won't have to go through the boring. Mm -hmm. What I love about the post is that it's time tested wisdom and everyone needs to run out and read it. I mean, it's things like slow down and and just tell your tribe. That's one of my favorites is that whole mm-hmm. accountability piece. And it's such a great, great post. And again, show notes, yourkickasslife.com forward slash 103. So tell us about your new book. No. Is it a secret? <laughs> no, no, it's not a secret. <laughs> I just don't want to talk about it. I've been working on it for, God, I don't know. I've lost track. I think three years. It came, I gave a talk um, in Seattle before right before I got married, four days before I got married. And the organizer had asked me to talk about when I closed my website and got rid of my brand in quote marks called Comfort Queen. And I didn't want to talk about that. And but I knew there was something there. And so I talked about times in my life when I had let go of things or things had let go of me. And I used the haiku, barns burned down. Now I can see the moon to organize the talk. And that's become the spine of the book. So right now it's a memoir. It will not remain just a memoir. It's going to be built out from there. But I'm working on the the spine or the narrative arc is stories of barn burning starting when I went to film school at 19 in L.A. And I'm ending with moving to Col- leaving Bainbridge and moving to Colorado. Yeah. And, you know, right now it's just, you know, it's so ugly. (laughs) It's so ugly. Yeah. Yeah. I can't, you know, I don't get to make the pretty part. I'm really curious about that. So do you say, I don't want to talk about it and it's ugly. Is it because it's been three years or because like the honeymoon phase is over or what was that about? If you don't mind me asking. Oh no, it is ugly. So one of the things I've had to learn is I, and I wasted probably, God, how knows? I don't want to say wasted. I spent a lot of time that probably wasn't necessary in those years, writing things and making them pretty. And that's not the function of this draft. This draft is to get the structure. A book like this has a complicated and important reliance on structure. Structure conveys the meaning. That's not something I had to do before. In my other books, the structures, you can pick them up and you can pick up the structure in a minute. If there, mm-hmm. It's a mechanical structure. It's a layout structure. It's a it's a self-help structure. And, and there's different ones in different books. And you do have to figure that out. And it is incredibly important. But it's much more important in a narrative book. I love language. I love making pretty sentences and I love writing Mm -hmm. metaphors, but that's not the time for this. Mm -hmm. So it is ugly and there's clunky language and lack of subtleness. And I want to go put that in now, but it's not time. The time is to get the structure. Got it. Okay. Interesting. So interesting. I love hearing people's creative processes and the way they talk about their creative projects, sometimes like their people. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. I do feel it is a thing. It has a life of its own, but it's still, it's like a, <laughs> it's like a robot, you know, and the musculature or what, what do you call it? The, when you're, you know, a sculpture, when you have the, the scaffolding for mm-hmm. it, that's what I'm building right now. Okay. Got it. And I really want to do the pretty stuff. <laughs> no. it's, it's just, it's not the right, it's the right thing at the wrong time. Understood. Got it. Okay. So I have one more question for you before we wrap up. It's a question that I ask pretty much all my guests. And I know you've been, you said you've been working with women for more than two decades now. And can you tell us what surprises you about the work you do with women? Mm, gosh, that is a, I'm sure everyone says this. That's a good question. 
Hmm, what surprises me? I think the thing that doesn't surprise me so much anymore, but still delights me and used to surprise the heck out of me, is that when we gather in community, we see our fears and our stuck places as universal, and they lose their power. Mm. So the importance of community and online community, but definitely in-person community. There's uh, something I do at the end of some of my retreats where I'm talking about how to maintain your writing project when you go home. And I have everybody put their hands on their hearts and look around the circle and look at these people they've been with for days. And what would they say to them when they haven't written for a week or a month? What would they say to them if it's a ugly phase of the project? And... That really helps people internalize that feeling of community and bring it into their their creative work. Wow. Amen. I love every answer that I get from my guests and it's all different and they're always, always, always beautiful. So thank you for that. You're welcome. Thanks for asking. Yeah. And thanks for being here. And again, everyone, the show notes are at yourkickasslife.com forward slash 103. And Jen, what is your favorite place to send people so they can get to know you better? Yeah, jenniferloudon.com. That's the perfect place. You can kind of poke around and decide if you want to be part of our list and see what some of the retreats are that are coming up and all that kind of stuff. Yes, your retreats look amazing. And they're in, am I making this up? Are they in New Mexico? Various places. We'll be in Vermont in October. We go to Taos twice a year. Planning a retreat in February in Sayulita as we speak for next year. And I've been doing some things in my new house in Colorado. Exciting. Yeah. You guys check out the writing retreats. And if you want on, you better get on it because I know that they sell out way in advance. So jenniferloudon.com. And that is all we have for you today. Thank you so much for being here. Stay tuned next time for episode 104. I have a solo edition for you. And until next time, I will see you all out in cyberspace. Bye-bye. 